Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they develop to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And today we have a common friend. Yeah. Um, Carrie Malkovich, who is actually a friend from the same group on social media that connected us in the first place. Yes. So it all goes back to our roots. Yes. Um, many of you listening have heard the story of how Michelle and I met and that we actually had never met in person when either of us had a living husband, but we were connected through a social media group and Carrie's a part of that group. And Carrie, we'd love to just turn the time over to you. First of all, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. And then let's talk about some of the instances and circumstances you faced in your life that have been challenging, but also taught you uh, what resiliency really can look like. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Again, my name is Carrie Malkovich. I live in the city of Woodland Hills, and I'm originally from North Idaho in Coeur d'Alene. For those of you who have been to North Idaho, it's beautiful. I grew up on the lake there. I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was in high school and therefore came to Utah to attend BYU, and I have never left. I have really loved living in Utah. I love your friendship and the ability we've had over the years to get to know each other. I did know your husband, Brent Jenny, long before I, I met you, and what a great colleague and friend he was to me. Thank you. I wanted to just kind of start and saying, uh, just to give kind of a a metaphor, I see life as kind of like a relay race. You know, when we're in in a relay race, everyone has their part. You know, it's a different part of the race. We each have a different leg of that race, and everyone who runs it gives their best. And then when your part is over, you hand off to the next uh, leg of the race, and each contributes to and adds to the next step to have victory. In our resiliency relay, though, personally, we run all the legs. Each stage of our life just adds to the next. We take over where one section ends, we take over and we do our best. So in all of those legs, we have anguish, we have fear, we have hope, and we have courage. So I I have identified at least Four, because normally a relay has four legs, uh, four different parts of my journey that I am okay to share with you. So the first part is, is my childhood and teenage years. My parents were divorced when I was little, mostly over an alcohol addiction my father had. 
Um, I'm the oldest, so there was a lot of caregiving then. As a, as my mom was a single mom, there was a lot of things that I had to do for my siblings. I also suffered quite a bit of physical and sexual abuse. Um, but I handed that baton off to myself in my 20s, where I, again, said I, I came to BYU, and that was a, a major culture shock. I I was not anticipating that. I had no knowledge of it, and that, that was a little rough on me. But eventually, I found someone, and I, I married him in the temple, and, and I thought I had made it. I thought everything in life was good. And then I became pregnant, and I was in the hospital giving birth to my first child when my husband left me. And so I was was left without food, without a car, without money, without a home. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that newborn baby. Had all those emotions of what you have anyways, giving birth. But then to realize you were all alone. And I didn't have any family help. My family had said, well, you went down there and you married into this. So we'll just have to learn to live with it. There were some good, kind people in my life at the time. And one particular gentleman found out how much the tuition was to, I had been living in Salt Lake at this time. I had dropped out of school to get married and work, et cetera. Uh, one kind hearted man said to me, gave me a check actually, and said, here's the tuition for one semester of school and books. Go back to school and finish. And when the time comes, pay it forward. And I was, I was overwhelmed with, gratitude, but also fear. Uh, I went down to Provo, and as most people know, they have a, or at the time, they had a housing requirement. You had to live in BYU-approved housing. I didn't qualify for student housing, uh, single student housing, because I had a kid, but I didn't qualify for married student housing because I was divorced. There weren't that many people in my situation that were young, and so there was a lot of shame there. Um, I went to school, and I had professors who would say, why are you in communications? It's obvious you couldn't communicate in your marriage. Why are you here? And a lot of different incidences like that. But eventually, I, I was able to graduate. I was able to fall in love again, and I married a, my current husband, who at the time had recently lost his wife. They were BYU students, and she had died in their early 20s after giving birth, and so we were we came together to raise our children who didn't have another parent. So we we now have six kids total, and have done some wonderful things together. For my third leg, our children have brought joy and sorrow. Some have left the church. Some have made choices that maybe I didn't feel like I raised them to be, which then makes you question your motherhood makes you question yourself on what you've been teaching and where you're at. And then my fourth leg I decided to put in here was a more of a public thing. I sit as a member of the city council. I am the emergency management manager, and I am also the PIO or public information officer. Some of you may have known about the fires of 2018, the Bald Mountain Pole Creek fire one day I was in meetings in Salt Lake and we got the call that said the fire has changed directions and your city can't get 
be saved. You need to go back and evacuate your city. So the mayor and I did that, and there were a lot of miracles, a lot of things that happened during that time that we can probably bring out. But my point is that each leg of our journey adds to the next, and it makes us stronger. And that I never felt like I had to save the little girl or the abandoned young mother because she saved me. She was a survivor, and she's the one that has given me the power to be resilient in who I am today. Wow. I I think, Carrie, you've just illustrated what we've seen time after time on this show, that everyone has a story, and not just one story, but several stories. You went through, I love the analogy of this relay race where, darn it, we're the one catching the baton every dang time. And there's the young you and then the young woman you and the young mother you and the adult you and the public life you. And at the end of the day, it's still you. And it's still you going through different trials and different difficulties. And I know, and Michelle knows because we both know you, that you've learned and grown and developed resiliency along the way. If you're okay, maybe we can ask a few questions and get a little more information about some of these situations, anything that you're comfortable sharing. Obviously, if anything's either too personal or something you'd rather not, then that's all right. Back to what you said with your your childhood and your teenage years, you grew up with an alcoholic father and the difficulties there. How did you keep your head up as a young child in that type of family environment? Statistically speaking, a lot of kids who grow up in that kind of environment don't end up in college, don't end up in public service, don't end up in a lot of the places you've ended up, maybe without even knowing what resilience was. Can you speak to a little bit of the mindset you had as a young girl, a young girl and a young teenager that kind of kept you not falling prey to the statistics of what might be expected in such an environment? Yes, I think that, you know, part of it, something was innate in me. And I now see that as my spirit and the ability to listen to that inner voice that gives you strength. We also have people around us who maybe even unintentionally lift us up. I am the only one of my siblings who did graduate from college, and, and I see that as a, as a great opportunity that I had to always want to improve, to do better, to try to say this circumstance is just that. And not that it's not rough, because it really is tough. Uh, Again, as I said before, there's anguish, there's fear, and yet somehow there's also hope. And there's those teachers, there's those people along the way. As I said, I I had friends who then introduced me, especially to religion, to the church, and I saw families that were together. I saw families that cared about each other in a different way than I had known before. And that helped me have a vision of what I may have, if that makes sense. It gave you you a foundation to work towards Mm -hmm. where you didn't have that from your own upbringing. I'm a little bit blown away, Carrie. I don't, don't mean to sit here and be completely quiet. We've known each other a long time and we've actually talked about you coming on this show. And, um, you've carried so much shame about, your past. You've shared with me these stories before. I've yes. mentioned to you how powerful they can be because other people have dealt with either addiction as a child and, and having an, 
addicts, for parents, maybe they don't feel like they have opportunity. Maybe they just don't see a way forward. And I I encourage you to come on and share this before. and, And you're like, I just don't think I want to. People don't know these things about me. And I just see this as a huge breakthrough for you. You're right. You're right. It's things that most people who know me don't know about because it's not something that we share very often. I think vulnerability is not easy. No. It's not something that we set out to do. We want to tell the good stories. We want to share the positive. And yet, as I've been listening to your podcast since you started, and I listen to friends and others that uh, have shared their stories. And what does sharing bring to us? You know, it brings a sense of togetherness in a, in a very strange way. And it buoys us up. It actually strengthens us to know that we're surrounded by survivors all over the place. Yeah. And yet our ability to to share our own story is so difficult because of the shame we we wish we would have handled it different at the time we wish we would have known this or that and in reality we did the best we could and that's where I've realized those building blocks of who we are now is because we were the survivor we did get through those things I'm preparing for a a conference I'm hosting in a a couple of months, and I've invited some Holocaust survivors to be on the panel. They are in their late 90s now. And as I was talking to them before they give their presentation, uh, one of the ladies said, you know, it took me 40, most of them, it's a little panel. One was a survivor from a camp. One was a survivor from a hidden child, meaning they they were rescued from a Christian family and kept in hiding. And one was a, a refugee. And they said it took us 40 to 50 years before we could really share our story. And now that they have the empowerment that has given them the validation of who they are and why it's important for other people to know. And I've really been thinking about that. And so when you asked me to come on, I thought if these people who have lived through, really lived through hell can do it, so can I. Well, I'm really glad to have you on. I'm just, I kind of, Jenny looked over at me and then she jumped in to to respond to you when when you had that first break. And I think everyone thought, where did Michelle go? (laughs) But I'm just sitting here just in awe because I thought that we'd focus mostly on the fire. But for you to share these personal things I know that you felt a lot of embarrassment and shame about, you know, marrying this man and you're married in the temple and you have this child. And then you find out that in the hospital, right after having a baby, that you're getting divorced and this is not going to be your future. I mean, it couldn't be a more devastating moment to learn that and more vulnerable. And what I hear you say about your life is that you've had multiple experiences where, you know, your parents got divorced, there's a addiction, which forms some abandonment issues often. Yeah. And then you marry this person who also abandoned you and abandoned you in a big, huge well, way. After newly finding a faith that 
teaches all about the not just lifelong but eternal length of marriage where, you know, it's a a tenet of our faith that marriage is forever and ever and then you've given birth and... And you're new, and you were new to the faith. I didn't know that you had converted to the faith um, later in life. Yeah. And I think the devastation of that—you found this faith that teaches these mm-hmm. beautiful, wonderful, almost fairy tale standing sounding principles—and then the reality of life comes crashing down so soon. It's amazing that you've been able to maintain your faith. And I know you very well, and you're you're very committed to your faith. And um, something I really admire admire about you. Well, I think part of it too is. You know, what I tell a lot of people, I am a woman of faith, and I know that uh, Christ meets me where I am. He meets you where you are. And I was blessed to have a calming inner peace about some very tragic things. And I keep thinking, what does tether me to God? You know, what is written on my heart? What gives me guidance? What gives me comfort? Of course, it's prayer. Sometimes it's scriptures. A lot of times it's music. Music speaks to my soul and it calms me and gets me into a place that um, I realize that I I am not beyond his reach. And to have that trust that there's one person in this world who will not ever abandon you. And that's powerful to me. And although our deliverance, as we might call it, will be different for each of us, I have been there, just like the two of you, where you're on your knees sobbing, sobbing, trying to figure out if he's a part of your life, trying to figure out what your next step is. And you're pleading for knowledge. You just want to know he's there. You just want to know you're not alone. And then the strength comes. Even in the middle of the trial, even if the trauma never goes away, somehow you know you're not alone. And I think in what you two do, and as my friends, not just to your audience, in sharing these moments, we become his hands in loving and embracing each other instead of the shame that usually comes from trauma. Wow. And I think that's very powerful for us, and we recognize that in each other, and it really is truly a strength. It is one of our tools. Carrie, that's beautiful. We're going to take a quick break and come back and continue this conversation. Thank you so much for joining and sharing with us. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I love what you've shared, and it's interesting in my own life, you know, when my husband died, I don't know that I necessarily felt shame associated with that, but it, the public nature of his death and our family's grief journey triggered something inside of me that helped me realize maybe some things of my own personal story that I maybe had hid in shame or just kind of swept under the rug and not intentionally um, hiding from, but just certainly not addressing part of that. I've now mentioned on this show several times, I have brothers that have suffered, struggled with addiction. I lost my father to suicide. And there, the things you've just said about the empowerment that comes in sharing, sharing our shame. I mean, is it interesting? Some of the things we feel ashamed of, Mm -hmm. like why is it as children, we feel ashamed that a, a person in our life was an addict or died by suicide. Why do we take that shame on us? when someone abandons us or something goes wrong or just when real life happens. I think that's an interesting psychological question to say so many of our disappointments, we turn into shame and yet can we look at those disappointments instead as maybe opportunities to empathize with others, to bring light and hope to someone else and to free ourselves of others actions and say, the shame does not need to be on me that this happened to me or I was part of this and, and even if I was, and even if it was all my fault and all my doing, we carry so much shame that gets in the way of what could be developed in our lives. Well, and I think that that's part of the great purpose of the show. Some people are uh, have told me, oh, it's so hard. You know, I listened to the first, I, I'm good for 50% of your podcast. I'm like, please. <laughs> and then I'm very sad. <laughs> I said, please, you got to get to the other 50%. You're missing yeah. the best part, right? You got to stay in for for how they move forward. But I think oftentimes we carry a lot of shame around experiences that happen in our life that are just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's comes yeah. power in talking and sharing our stories because as we share them, they have less power over us. Okay, that's powerful. Well, Isn't that interesting? As yeah, we share our stories, so. they have less power over us yeah. and we become empowered. I love that, mm-hmm. Michelle and Carrie. You know, that's so beautiful. I'm currently in the process of writing a book. And in that process, I've been writing out a lot of stories that will not be in the book. Sure. And as but I write for this, your process, good for my process. And some of these stories, yeah. I I realize I don't need to tell the story anymore. The story doesn't define me, and it really is not pertinent to who I am today. And yet, let's talk for a second. How is that different from brushing it under the rug right. or, or being right. being ashamed? You've, right. you've addressed it. You've found maybe some yeah. closure It's with not it? that I couldn't talk oh, about sure. it. Sure, I, I could still talk about it. I just don't feel the need to broadcast it or share it. And, right. and I think that that's okay. And be defined by it. You know, one thing I'm hesitant about our show, sometimes, you know, I'm not inviting people on to share this to just promote trauma, (laughs) right? That's not the purpose of the show. But the purpose is that to take some of the power out of what sometimes feels like such a heavy burden to carry, but to also help us to all understand, you know, we kind of have an idea that like not everybody's life can be perfect, except we lived in the social media world where everyone's life looks like it's perfect. And we can't help ourselves but live by comparison. And so I think it's refreshing to hear other people's story. And I think I think the reason why yeah. I end up with relationships where people tell me some of their truths is because I am willing to say I'm imperfect. You open that door right. by sharing your truth. Yeah. And, I, well, th- and I, I, think I think the more that we do that, the more that we'll find 
connection, which is what I feel like we're all really needing. We seem so connected on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and yet we couldn't be more disconnected because the things we are sharing are not helpful. They are not honest. They are not done with authenticity. And oftentimes they're done with hurt and anger in order to create attention or a reaction in somebody. And that mm-hmm. creates more disconnection. So I, right. I, I think well, it's powerful. One of, the things that, one of the things I've been thinking of is just, you know, our path is never straight. We think we have it down, but our path <laughs> is never straight. It's never going to be what we thought it would be. My grandmother used to say, it's never the end of the road as long as you take the turn. <laughs> and her advice has brought me through so many things when I didn't know what to do. Our disasters and our trauma can't always be predicted. We have to be real with both the positive and the negative experiences, our thoughts. I was thinking about you, Michelle, and your vision boards. You like, you know, your goals, the visualization, see yourself there, train yourself mentally and and physically to actually accomplish things. And, and it's all so great. I went to one of your visioning board activities once, and and I didn't realize how hard it was for me to see beyond some things. I'm a, I see the big picture. I'm a big picture thinker when it comes to larger things. But when I had to tone it down to myself, I had a very difficult time with that vision. So I was thinking, I heard a story once about Michael Phelps when he was in, I don't know if you've already talked about this, but the 2008 Beijing Olympics, his coach had told him, visualize, visualize the gold. They had gone back and forth and kind of play the movie in your head kind of thing. Well, he jumped in to do the uh, 200-meter butterfly, and a real disaster happened. His goggles filled with water, and he was blind swimming. And his coach was like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Well, little to the coach's uh, knowledge, Michael had also visioned what could go wrong and what do I do if something goes wrong. How do I plan? So he had been swimming, counting how many lengths it was to the end and back. So he knew every inch with his eyes closed. Hmm. So when this happened, his mind, his mental movie just kicked in. He didn't have to think, oh, my gosh, this is panicking. What am I going to do? His vision board for the obstacles kicked in. He not only won gold, he set a new world record. And so I think... Sometimes knowing our obstacles or those traumas, identifying those things when we do go through a hard time, those things that catch us off guard can actually be the things that save us. They can be the things, our obstacles, whether it's fear or weakness or insecurities or or whatever it is. If we've thought of those, it takes a lot of focus away from who we are if we dwell on them. But if we've identified them, we put them into our plan, our vision, which can be scary. But if we do that, we can say, I've already seen this. I've already done this. We can kind of have a mental plan. If this happens, then that is my plan. And that mental contrasting paired with our goal helps us to overcome in a way that we really never imagined before. And I love that. That's awesome. And that is what resiliency is, right? right. 
having your friends that you can rely on, your support group, your Mm -hmm. network in place, being able to be honest with yourself about the situation at hand, being able to call it for what it is and being able to be realistic about the the situation that you're dealing with so you can make a plan to figure a solution. Something I've been thinking about lately is why are we always so shocked Every time something goes wrong. I mean, I find it in my life. I can speak about resilience all day and go to conferences or podcasts or whatever. Because we all love Disneyland. I know. (laughs) And then something, something falls out of place or something is wrong. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm a mess. And, and I think sometimes we try so hard to make life not hard. Yeah. But I love what Carrie has just taught us that don't dwell on the hard. Yeah. But it'd probably be wise to anticipate that a few things are going to be a little out of step Think through in your mm-hmm. mind, what might you do? How could you handle this? What do you do in a crisis situation? Stop pretending you'll never be in a crisis situation. Like, yeah. why do we why do we set ourselves yeah. up for so much shock? Because we live too much of our lives on television. And we want it fantasy, tied up with a bow. Yeah, and, fair. and we love Disneyland. We were all raised yeah, that. But have we ever been to Disneyland with kids to really know what Disneyland is like? <laughs> yeah. We I should go not be surprised. Kids. Yeah, can we go without? That's kids? what I'm so, saying. <laughs> oh, this tell is great. You, uh, that thought came to me. I don't know where I heard it, but there's been research done. There's, you know, somebody smarter than I am who came up with the term or the acronym WOOP. W O O P stands for Wish. What our goal is outcome what we want, obstacle, what might get in our way, and plan, what we're going to implement. So WOOP, W-O-O-P, Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, Plan. I love that. Um, love it's that. an exercise to go through without judgment on ourselves or anyone else. It's training your brain how to kick in without really thinking of that obstacle. Because you've already planned for it. Your brain yeah. says, oh, we have a plan. But you didn't stop on the obstacle. And you don't even think about that obstacle yeah. anymore because your goal is the plan. Because I think a and lot of so, us go to woo. Yeah. yeah. We have a wish. We want yeah. an outcome. We get to the obstacle mentally and we just stop. <laughs> yeah. We don't get the right. But to make a plan, like how impact You're laughing at me. Stop laughing at me, Michelle. No, it's how, funny because it's true. <laughs> it's true. Like I can dream and goal. Mm-hmm. I can analyze. I can look at those obstacles and then I can run away. Yeah. Or... Right. I can acknowledge, you know, we, we either overanalyze the obstacle or the opposite is we're just t- so clueless we think there will never be an obstacle. But how right. important the four. Look at all four letters yep. in that acronym. Mm-hmm. Make a plan. Well, and Know that and your plan might need obstacle, to be adjusted. When we see that obstacle, we're, we're able to let it go, although it's still part of that plan. We've Our brain has let it go because we've addressed it. Yes. And then if it, it, doesn't if stalk it holds us. us up, then our brain kicks in and says, we're okay. Yeah. We're resilient. We, Absolutely. We, we know that this could be. Now, it doesn't mean it's not easy or we don't have to be honest with ourselves because that part may be very devastating. I mean, when both of you lost your husbands, I mean, I was there. The trauma and the anguish that distraught that happened, that change of life in such a quick moment of time. And yet... Neither of you would have thought at that point your plan wouldn't have been to have a podcast or to speak all over the nation for things or to write a book or, you know, all of these things were not in your plan in the 
moment of grief. No. The obstacle held you up, but it didn't stop you because your brain, after a while, kicked in and said, what do I do with what I've learned? And look at where you are now. Not that your obstacles have gone away. It's that your mind and your body have come together in that resilient pattern of identification and plan, the purpose. Your plan is your purpose. And I just think it's so amazing to see, especially in other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. I, I love that acronym and that whole, like, that lays it out really simplistic. When I taught childbirth classes, I taught birthing from within. And they have a game, and it's called the next best thing game. And so, you know, most of the women taking this childbirth class want to have a natural outcome. But oftentimes, you've got to plan in case something happens in the birth, something happens with the baby, something happens with the mom. And so there's cards that you can select. And then you you have visualizations of what's the next best thing. So if you end up having to get an IV and you can't walk the halls, then like, how else can we, you know, what, what are the other things that we can do to help manage pain and still have some mobility? This is kind of the same thing as the idea of this whoop, right? Right. You think about what are your wishes, your hopes, your dreams? What are the outcomes, my goals that I want to create? What are the potential obstacles that might get in my way and how can I plan for those? And if mm-hmm. they come, what is the next best thing? I love that. Right. It, that is a powerful well, and your tool. Obstacles, your obstacles can be yourself, your fear, your insecurities, your anxieties, and it can be those external things, the death of, uh, of your husband, the abandonment of my husband, some of the other things that come into our life that we have no control of. We have no foreknowledge of of some of those events, and yet they happen to us. Yeah. And so those obstacles, how how we deal with them, it's not that we push them under the rug, as what you were kind of saying at the beginning, but that we identify them to give us strength and empowerment that we can move forward yep. with our overall objectives yeah. and plans that Beautiful. we really do want, even Beautiful. if they're different. Yes. Well, we need to... Uh take a break and when we come back we want to talk about resiliency and what it means to you Mm back it's a question we ask all of our guests carrie what does resiliency mean to you oh resiliency um like i said at the beginning it's taking who we are what we've experienced and adding upon that in confidence even though our circumstances might not be the best that we wanted we've taken that we realize that we have survived both good and some things that we would have never added to our journey. But in our ability to survive, in our ability to be resilient, we see ourselves for all that we have become, for the person who has survived, for the person who has taken 
that handoff, as we would say, in the race, that we can have gratitude in our adversity and we can see how we have stepped forward, how our training, how our thought process, both positive and and negative, kicks in and all of our parts come together to make us a whole complete being and that really for me that is also being a woman of faith that is what tethers me to god that's the one that says i'm never beyond his reach that's beautiful it is it's beautiful i really appreciate you coming on you have such a great heart and we are good friends and we share a lot of personal information with each other and um and the one thing i know is that you have a great heart and you are always doing all you can to serve others around you and it's admirable i i know you brought up some of the stuff with your kids being a mom is hard it's one of the hardest things that we do and i think a lot of the times our kids think that we have everything figured out and we're supposed to do it all perfect. And the reality is we're still growing up even at our age. We're still learning and growing and developing there. You know, we have babies when we're babies and uh, we don't have things figured out. And that's just the way it is in society in in general. That's how this program works. And um, Mm -hmm. it takes a while for our kids to understand that we are just doing our absolute best. And some parents aren't capable of a very good best, and others are capable of a lot more. And with the three of us, I mean, we never, we didn't have time to talk about the fires and the things that we've done on a more public Uh arena with regards to disaster and trauma and how We've helped others. All three of us have had that public eye where things have appeared to just kick in, right? Those things that we have planned for, those things that we want to share on that public platform that we have been given and realizing that sometimes it's easier to talk about those public things than it is the private things. Yeah. And yet it's all us. Like you said, Michelle, It's still us. All of these different levels of who we are and what we've experienced are all us. And it gives us that ability to help others. Yep. And it's an awesome opportunity. You know, I I love being able to do and serve others. I I often feel like I'm not doing enough, Um, (laughs) which is funny because I, I would chalk up this podcast as to a great service, both for those who are on it and for those right. listeners that from gain from it. And for um, us. <laughs> and for us. I, I, I've us learned, this room. I've, I've learned a lot. So yeah, I think you're right. I have really enjoyed having you on here. I know we didn't get to talk about the fires. Maybe we bring you back <laughs> on at another time to talk about the public yeah. life of those who serve us. And I don't think people really understand. I think, especially in today's toxic political environment. Agreed 100%. We don't even appreciate that these people are just our neighbors and Mm -hmm. our friends and they're doing their best. And sometimes they get put in really difficult situations. And uh, it's really easy. I would be happy to. Yeah, it's really easy to make uh, villains 
out of anyone who's in oh, yeah. political office today. The government today. is the enemy at all levels. Yeah. yeah. It is too bad. I love what no you ha- had to share with us today. And I... You know, it's funny because we've talked about you being on the show and you've told me multiple times, Michelle, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then I get a text message from Jenny last night <laughs> saying Carrie's coming on. And I'm like, what? Well, which is <laughs> funny. I don't this? I don't know you nearly as well, Carrie. I said she's going to talk about some fires. I've seen what she's posted on Facebook. I loved watching how the community came together and that group resilience. I thought that's where we were going. Yeah. So. I appreciate you letting us get to know you and your heart and your own story a little before we do do the public side. And I think that's the right order. Yeah, I Because do we do look at public officials and kind of just there's some statue type of person. You're a real person with real vulnerabilities, real experiences, trying really hard to just help your community. I yeah. think that'll be a beautiful follow-on. I'm excited for part two, Carrie. Thank yeah, you for we'll joining us. Yeah, we'll just do us. this as a part two so we can do them back to back. And All listen... Right. For those of you listening who might think, oh, maybe I have a story, but I'm not ready. You could be brave like Carrie and be ready. And, and you never know where the conversation yeah. might go. It can be it's just an organic opportunity to share what you've lived through and what you've learned. And it doesn't have to have a giant headline. We all have stories to share that can help each other along our way. Yeah. So, and I've recently found out that um, I was not getting messages from our Facebook message uh, on Messenger. Oh. And we have stacks of people that we need to get to. Oh, my goodness. And, and so, yeah. Okay, and well, so, if you're in there, we're coming. We've got plenty of open spots And so I've been you. reaching out to people, but uh, we've already have a lot of people in the queue. I think we're going to probably... 2023 is going to be a wonderful year <laughs> yeah. to grow and connect together, yeah. you guys. And so uh, it, it, it'll right. be great. We promise to check the messages. Find yeah. us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carrie, for being on here. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.